Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You can't see me, but I'm wearing an awesome single tracks hat right now. It's actually the reason my voice sounds so amazing. Okay, so maybe not, but you never know until you get a hat for yourself. Go to shop.singletracks.com to find single tracks hats, t-shirts, stickers, tubular headwear, and can coolers. Shipping is free within the USA, and your purchase helps support the Single Tracks podcast. That's shop.singletracks.com, and thank you for your support. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today my guest is Otis Guy. Otis started racing mountain bikes at Repack in the late 1970s and competed at the first mountain bike world championships in 1990. He's also been a frame builder since the 1980s and currently works as a youth cycling coach in Northern California. Thanks for joining us, Otis. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Well, so you started out racing road bikes, I believe, and helped start the Velo Cult. Uh, sorry. Velo Club Tunnel Pies. Yeah. For me, Club, cycling yeah. was always a passport to freedom. Mm-hmm. So I got my first bicycle when I was five years old and I had my parents take the training wheels off it right away. My <laughs> uncle had a grocery store in downtown San Rafael. My father used to come home from Hamilton Air Force Base and he would follow me to the elementary school over this little hill on my 20 incher. I'm surprised he still had a clutch in the car. <laughs> and once he they were confident that I can ride to school and back. I was allowed to ride everywhere I wanted to. So I would ride down to downtown San Rafael, ride up in the hills and everything else. So for me, cycling was always a passport to freedom. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I started uh, racing in 1971 and was a uh, part owner of a bicycle shop in Sausalito called Mom's Apple Bikes. And I met a, a man named Joe Breeze and we hit it off right away and we're racing together and later on in October of 1973, so we're racing on the road all over Northern California, mm-hmm. and we're very much into old bikes, which meant real old bikes. Like I worked a whole summer for free at a bicycle shop in San Rafael in the mid-70s to earn a, a, an ordinary, an 1881 uh, bike uh, that I still have that's at the Marin Museum of Bicycling. So in October of 73, a man named Mark Vendetti who was uh, a little bit with the Larkspur Canyon gang and knew about the old uh, clunkers that people were riding on Mount Tam, introduced us to mountain bikes. And that's when we started uh, riding these uh, single-speed, you know, pre-World War II Schwinn's because they had high bottom brackets mm-hmm. and also setting pin, you know, dropouts, so allowed you to adjust the chain very well and, and keep it in a good spot. And that was our ticket to... Mount Tam. So I've lived in my entire life with a place with a view of Mount Tam. So it's a very special place for me. Yeah. And that was the beginning for us of uh, mountain biking. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, what was your interest in old bikes at the time? Like this is before the Schwinn's. Just because of uh, the beauty and the ingenuity and, you know, all all the advances in cars and everything else. These people were bicycle frame builders Hmm. or or designers. The first ball bearings was made by a a bicycle manufacturer. So just, you know, the beauty of old bikes, the, you know, the 28 inch 
you know, uh, you know, single tube tire bikes, wood rims, the high wheelers. You know, Joe and I went to the San Rafael Historical Society and uh, found old pictures of the San Rafael wheelman in 1898. Oh, wow. Of course, we couldn't get the photos, you know, copied because we were both going in there with long hair. And so for my mom asked me what I wanted for a birthday gift, I said, I'd like these three pictures get copies of. And oh, wow. my mom went there and the, the older women there then did allow her to make copies of these photos. And I still have those photos. Wow. So they weren't, they weren't being cooperative with us. They didn't let us look in the books and look through stuff to find old cycling stuff. So just always into bicycles. Like I say, you know, passport to freedom, Rode to high school, rode all, you know, did got a, a merit badge for us cycling. I remember calling my mom from Point Reyes, mm -hmm. you know, when I was like 12 years old on like a 50 mile bike ride just to check in, <laughs> to, you know, make sure I was still alive, you know, on my, uh, I think that was probably a Schwinn Varsity then. So this is Breeze, Vendetti, all of us were into bikes forever. We weren't going to start just driving a car and uh, abandoned bicycle. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like you were obsessed. I mean, like, was it the historical nature of those bikes, or I mean, how did they ride? Like, were they fun to ride, or was? Oh, the high, the high wheel. I, I have ridden around Paradise Drive. It's very interesting. You don't realize how low the trees are on uh, small roads because you know I'm I'm I was six six. I'm probably shrunk down to six five. You know, so uh, you know you're pretty high up on those bikes. It's just fun. Just the the craftsmanship, the worksmanship of with what the tools they had to use. It's just bicycle history is very fascinating. So it was all yeah. good. Interesting. So what was it about riding off road that appealed to you? I mean, it sounds like it's kind of in the same vein. You like different things, different bikes and exploring places. I mean, is that what it was? Was this like a new world for you riding off road? Well, it was, it was more to do with, cause we rode off road, but the, the, you know, you're just on your own with that, whatever your 20 inch bike or even just a three speed. And we used to ride our, our road bikes with silk tires up, you know, the railroad grade Mount Tam regularly in that different area. Mm -hmm. But remember the, 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 the roads were much smoother because they were not bicycles and there was not suspension. You know, the suspension begets more bumps. So, uh, as time went on, we started riding the mountain bikes from braking and everything else that would cause more bumps, but just a way to enjoy the mountain. Those are also the drought years in Marin County when we had a se severe drought. So for us, these bicycles were, you're not riding silk tires. You're not riding a five-speed bike that you have to maintain. You just can ride these old Schwinn's with a Moro uh, rear um, brake you know, uh, hub, pedal hub, and sim simplicity, not worrying about flats, and riding on all these great trails all over Mount Tam. So it's, you know, what's not to like? <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, the, the best way to get out there. And then I started working at the fire department in uh, late 1974 and 75, I was hired there for San Selma Fire Department. Mm -hmm. And Joe and I were always into bicycles as transportation also. And that was why we tried to, you know, break the transcontinental record twice in 76 and 79. So if you can get across the country in 11 days, why can't you go to the supermarket and get a, a quart of milk? So that was also part of it. But drought years, also there was a man that was killing people in the Bay Area called the Trailside Killer. Uh, so nobody was on Mount Tam. So we had it all to ourselves. So it was, it was pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. You weren't worried about running into the, the Trailside Killer? He killed people at trailheads. So when we get to like trailheads, we just hit it hard on the bikes and then just keep going. He was yeah. usually killing people that were, you know, was a couple, 
Uh, even in the old days, we used to go out to Point Race National Seashore and ride those trails out there. And I keep saying the, seeing the same car in the parking lot and be like, this car's been here for like three or four months. Well, that turned out to be a car of a couple that was murdered. It was like, okay, well, I'm not a ranger and I'm noticing the car there. How are you guys not noticing this? <laughs> Anyways, they finally uh, did figure that out and did find the poor couple. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, so... You know, we've heard a lot about the early mountain bikes and how those compare to today's bikes. I'm curious, too, about the early trails. Like, what were the trails like that you were riding on Mount Tam uh, back then compared to some of the purpose-built mountain bike trails that, that people are building today? Well, the trails were, you know, if, if you saw us wearing, you know, we, we did not wear flannel shirts, Levi's, and hiking boots when we rode our road bikes. You know, so the the reason we were, you know, in garden clubs, the reason we were doing that was because the trails were really not much more than handlebar width. Mm. This is the, the time of Jim, Jim Fix, who put out the running book to really get people to do stuff more outside and running on trails. Mm-hmm. So people did not exercise or, or in, in, you know, embrace the outdoors to such a wide extent. Mm. So the trails were not well maintained. And that's, you know, if, if you bibbled, you went into the Manzanita. And I many times like Joe's over the handlebars with his head, you know, stuck in the Manzanita. And I'm yanking him out by his ankles, you know, to, to get back on, on the bike. So it was very different. You're not on suspension. Mm-hmm. We really learned our foot position really well because you could not freewheel. You could not move your your foot back because that's what made the brakes, the bicycle stop. So we had a fixed foot position. It really allowed you to learn how to move your feet and control the bike that way, but keep the same place. So it was really high skill level and we're young. So we're we're going down all these you know, pretty good little rock drops and stair drops. And we, you know, we were making them all the time. In fact, the first American journalist, Owen Mulholland, to cover the Tour de France, wrote an article in Velo News and he compared us to, uh, you know, asking for forgiveness from the Lord. Because if we like, we did a dab, we like said, yo, 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 dab here, dab there, like our confession, because the whole goal was never to put your foot down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet that was tough on those trails. I mean, it sounds like they weren't they weren't built to be easy. I mean, was was the challenge was that part of the fun as well? Yeah, that was part of the fun, and also just to, you know we did know the trails from hiking there as kids, and for me and the Boy Scouts. But you know, we still brought trail maps, and that, that a lot of uh, trails were not well marked. And when we first found Kent Trail, geez, we did that like eight days in a row. You know, because there's this absolutely cool trail with these big stairs and we both joe and i cleaned the stairs the very first time we went down down it so we were just it it had more to do with what you'd have to do to do an all-day hike we could do it on these bicycles in two and a half hours and to enjoy mount tam to enjoy the views off-season training from racing road bikes all you know uh spring through the fall this was our winter time uh our wintertime fun. And then also we realized these bikes, most people don't want to be on drop bars with skinny tires. Why not be with an upright bicycle and a comfortable saddle and an easier bike to ride? So that was where working at the fire department, these old guys that could care less about cycling, you know, thought these bikes were fun. It's like, okay, we have kind of normal people that don't care about bikes that kind of thought, Hey, this would be a fun bike to ride. That really piqued our interest, not just for, mountain biking for just regular riding. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, tell us how you got into building bike frames. I was with Joe. The you know Joe took a um, a frame building class from the premier uh, American frame builder by the name of Albert Eisentrout. Hmm. You know who, who for us was you know in a sense the Eddie Merrick's uh, of uh, frame building. Uh, he he built Joe and my uh, first tandem that we used in the '76 trip and that we won uh, the Davis Double Century for four years in, and in the fifth year we used the uh, Tom Ritchie bike. Uh, so. Joe took his class, took the second class uh, with a frame builder named Mark Nobilet. So Joe built his first bike there. Uh, Joe's history, his father was the first man. He raced in the first sports car race in America and used to bring in uh, old MGTCs. And he had a complete machine shop. It used to be at a place called Sports Car Center. And when that went away, he brought the machine shop to his house. So Joe has a beautiful Italian lathe. And was always into that and, and took a, a machine shop class at College Marin. So his first bike he built at Albert's class and the second bike he built was for me in the road bike. And the third bike was for, uh, Mark Vendetti. And later on, I was helping Joe, uh, you know, do frames, clean tubes and that type of stuff. And I got tired of working in bike shops while at the fire department. I had my own ideas of, of frame building, sloping top tubes, you know, steeper angles. And I wanted to express myself artistically, and I started building frames in 1982. So I've been building frames for 40 years now. Wow. And so and I imagine a lot of these were mountain bikes, too. Like, did you kind of evolve your designs over time? And like Far more road bikes in the beginning, uh, more you know, more mountain bikes, you know, later on, uh, actually I raced, I'm the only person to uh, race and repack and actually win a repack and race in the first national mountain bike championships in 1983 into a, a race in the first UCI world championships. And even in the, uh, I had already built myself a mountain bike in 83, but I used the, uh, one, I got one of the 10 breezers that uh, Joe made after he made his original one. That's at the Smithsonian. And I used that breezer in that race. And I actually used a prototype height, right? The very first one made that was like a very, you know, ugly looking piece of square aluminum with yeah. a, a, a wrist spring and, a, you know, on the seat post. And so I used, I wanted to have the first, you know, modern mountain bike, you'll be in the first national championships. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. I have one of those height rights uh, that somebody, somebody tracked down and yeah, that's such a cool thing. The, the prototype dropper post basically for those who don't know it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think as a frame builder about sort of this current trend towards slacker mountain bike head tube angles? Is that, is that a good development or, or do you think we're getting too slack? It's, I'm the wrong person to ask, you know, since I only <laughs> uh, ride my own frames. It certainly is working. People are winning world championships. Uh, you know, for me, I like a bike that, that moves more, but you know, now with the advent of very large suspension, you do need something that goes slower. It was more like, well, you're, you've kind of gone back to the bikes we rode. You know, the first, you know, modern bike built by Joe was off my 41 Schwinn because that was the best handling bike, you know, with this like a 67, you know, head angle, you know, so they're more down to those ranges now. So it's kind of entertaining that they've gone back to these like, you know, dead Schwinn's head angles, but it certainly does work. But I like, I like a bike that's more aggressive. But again, remember, I'm riding my own bikes. They're not, you know, I don't have licensed technology for rear suspension. So I'm riding, you know, a tie bike I built with like, you know, uh, a one, you know, 20 fork or, you know, no, one four, excuse me, a 140 fork and, uh, you know, 
access, you know, drop receipt post and, you know, access, you know, one by 12. So with 2.4 tires. So I'm the wrong person to. That sounds like a really modern bike, though. I mean, yeah. It doesn't sound like there's anything wrong with that. Or it is, but it's still got a 71 and a half head angle, though. Oh, wow. Interesting. That does sound different. I like things to react when I move. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. So let's talk more about some other mountain bike innovations. The pro mountain bike team you managed was reportedly the first to race full suspension cross-country bikes. What were the race courses like in those days, and, and how did full suspension help? I think the full suspension help. It was still, it was still early, you know, with rock shocks. And I first saw the soft ride bikes at the first, uh, world championships. And I, I tried what, you know, a couple of them out there with other guys from, uh, Washington and then soft ride heard that. So they sent me a beam and a top tube and I didn't even commit to building a frame. I cut the top tube out of my uh, regular mountain bike and, and threw it in there to check it out. And I, I liked how it went. Um, and I, you know, use their, you know, I actually did that with a rock shock on the front that, uh, Turner gave me to use in the worlds. And I really liked the way it worked, but you know, it, that still was a transition. I liked that it, it really had, you didn't have to worry about pivots. You were suspending the rider, you know, not, you know, the bicycle. And so I'd say it was more of a very early bridge. I mean, I would think most people now kind of look at the soft ride beam and, and think it would be laughable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it did work very well and was definitely smoothed out the bumps and made a big difference on cross country races. And we, I actually, you know, gave Bob Roll his last pro contract and he raced for me in soft ride for his last couple of years as a professional, as a professional racer in anything. He oh, raced cool. the, uh, the, you know, the, American, the U.S. National Road Championships on a beam road bike I made him. And then he, he did, he raced for two years for me, I think probably like 96 and 97, you know, uh, on a, on a mountain bike that I built with a beam and then with the, uh, the suspension stem, like Dursness won, uh, two world championships in Vail and, um, I think Bromont. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, so you, you talked about uh, riding a tandem with Joe Breeze, and there's a mention of two, and I'm putting this in quotes, two attempts at riding a tandem from San Francisco to New York City um, in your Mountain Bike Hall of Fame induction bio. So tell us about that ride. Did you guys ever make it to New York, or was it just attempts? We never, no, we never did make it. <laughs> We got to the first time we made it to Lincoln, Nebraska in five and a half days. Okay. You know, so our, our, and, and our, our theory proved to be wrong. Our theory was more that you went really hard for 18 hours and then you, you know, slept three to four hours and then went again. Mm. <laughs> um, and that's proven not to be the case. It's better just to keep riding forever, even if you're riding slower and really kind of go for the sleep deprivation. But we were more going for, being racers and, and thinking that was the way to go. Joe, Joe was far more talented a, a, of a cyclist than I am, but in some senses he, he did not necessarily prepare as well as I did. And each day he was having more troubles with his knees and he had, a, a you know, two episodes of gout and that, uh, so he had to, you know, quit both in 76 and 79. Uh, but it was really fun to do it. It got a lot of attention, you know, for cycling, and it would have been great to make it across the country in like 10 days, but we did not make it. <laughs> Man. 
Well, tandems are always, they're, they're kind of fascinating to me because I don't understand, like, is, is there efficiency to be gained by having two people on, on one bike or would you be stronger? Like if you guys each had your own bike, you're much better on the downhills on the flats. Cause you just have more power Okay, where it would be run into stuff is more going up hills. So Joe, there used to be uh, something that will still exist. The Davis double century or 200. And in the early days that was run as a race also. So it was a mass start and they kept times and they had a winner. So Joe and I heard about that when we were preparing to do the cross country trip. And so in 75, we went up there and what we decided to do was hit the early hills, like, you know, pretty much like 90% mm-hmm. and where all the other, you know, top, you know, George Mount was in the race, you know, Pringle, a bunch of great racers, you know, Mount, you know, 70 in the 1976 with, uh, got six in the Olympics and we hit it hard enough to make the, the, the single bikes uncomfortable. And then we, at one of the tops of one of the early hills, attacked over the top and took off and were able to hold them off. But when we had some, uh, are going down St. Mount St. Helena, we were using soaps in that year and, uh, it was in the rain, but still it's a long descent and the tire moved front tire moved halfway around the rim. Oh. Um, so we had to reposition it and we got caught by them right before the, the, those days they had you stop for an hour for lunch. And then in the second half, we dropped them going about 65 miles, miles an hour down to descent, you know, fashion they wanted to go and were able to solo in. So we won that race, you know, five years straight. And I think our best time was like eight hours and 59 minutes. Wow. Wow. Did you ever ride tandem bikes off road? Yes, my uh, second wife and I, uh, Laurel Dreamus, won the uh, the tandem mountain bike national championships in 1993 at Big Bear. It was actually a male male national championships, and they uh, one person was not letting her come up to the podium because she was a woman. Uh, but it's like, well, we actually won the race, so it's like <laughs> that's that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there it's it, it's really fun. I did, you know, Laurel. I did a lot of rides with uh, Dave Weens and Susan Dimitai on uh, Mount Tam on Troop 80 trails, and you can the tandems. You can get those things going pretty darn well on the downhill and on trails. Yeah, that sounds, sounds like a blast. Well, these days you run a series of youth mountain bike camps in Northern California. And I'm curious, though, how did you learn mountain bike skills yourself? I mean, as being one of the first, you know, real mountain bikers, how did you figure it all out? Just by doing those trails. And we were, we were all good bike handlers, you know, very good, you know, very fast road riders and very good, you know, but, you know, Breeze, Vendetti and I were extremely quick descenders. You know, so, you know, you, we weren't any slouches. So, I mean, if you're good at, you know, doing it on the road, you're going to be good at doing it at mountain biking and just, and we're just having fun. So again, not being able to, you know, free will your, your foot back and stuff really learned us foot position that really, I think really helped, you know, for me, a lot of it's really steering with the pedals in a sense. That's why, you know, clipless pedals are so nice. And we transitioned with toe clips first. But that's, you know, really being able to move the bike over that way uh, really helps. So it's just a natural, if you're a good road descender, you should be able to become a, you know, a good uh, mountain bike descender. Like, you know, know, Peter Sagan was a world championship junior on the mountain bike, and he became an extremely good road descender. So it would still go the opposite way also. Hmm. Yeah. Well, so tell us a bit about the camps. What's sort of the focus uh, of these youth mountain bike camps? Well, I, I was a firefighter for 33 years. I retired back in, uh, you know, 2007. 
And I started teaching local fire departments emergency medical services. So I'm still an active paramedic. And uh, I kind of realized that I could make a more more of an impact by teaching than necessarily just by doing. Mm. And with my boys, if you take your kids out, you'll buy themselves for a bike ride. All they do is complain the entire time. <laughs> and we had a couple local families on like, you know, Christmas Eve, we would take the three families and take the kids out for a bike ride. And we, we'd be doing this. Well, the kids didn't complain. They're all talking, not thinking about riding up the hill, not complaining. This is too hard. I have to get off my bike. This is the worst <laughs> thing ever. Why are you making me do this? Like, Oh, you're killing me here. Yeah. Uh, so from that, that thought, I'm like, you know, I'd like to, you know, see what I can do to do something fun. And also it was for me, a lot of the mountain bike camps, you know, they load them in a van and take them different places. Like, I don't want any 12 passenger vans. Mm -hmm. We're going to ride out of Fairfax and we're going to do different trails and we're just going to have fun. So I've been doing the camp since, uh, what's I think 2009 or 2010 mm -hmm. and have about, you know, 180 to 200 kids uh, a year come through the six weeks. And, uh, it's very funny because the parents in the early years, they'd roll up with the kids' bike and with their lunch. And I'm like, oh, are you doing the camp? Well, you're welcome to the camp. You're going to have to sign up and everything. Oh, you're not. Well, they're doing the camp. They can bring their own bicycle in. They can carry their own lunch and their own helmet. And then the kids would be like, you know, what time is it? I, I, are you launching an IPO today? Uh, do you have a conference call? You, why do you care? And it was just more just learning the kids just stress themselves out. It's like, we get there when we get there. It's the summertime. Just have fun. And I'd give them also part of the history of the area or just look where we are, you know, in, in, in uh, Marin County, the views, the beauty, everything else. And I incorporated one of the things I did when I was a kid. We have these things called the ink wells at Shafter's Bridge, which is water from Paper Mill Creek and also from Kent Lake. And there's a couple little ink well pools. Our last day would be the queen stage. It was like a 25-mile day. We do half dirt out there, and everybody would get to go swim in the, in the ink wells. And then, you know, no towels needed, just the, just air dry and ride back. So it just have them have the Tom Sawyer experience. Have them just have fun. So it's been really fun. My Both my boys have helped me, like, since they were small. And now uh, one has dropped out, Sterling, my older one who's uh, – turns 25 soon is still helping me out in the summertime doing it. So it's, it's, it's been kind of a family affair with the, the two boys and myself and we just have fun. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, is it just fun or are you like trying to trick these kids into like getting a little bit of fitness and like maybe learning some skills or. Oh no, we, we, we ride a lot. The parents are all amazed that they, we probably average about 18 miles a day. Wow. And, uh, you know, Sterling is really good at get, you know, we, we, I learned a lot from the pandemic. You know, we split it. We now split up and we have two distinct groups. Mm -hmm. So we have different rides before. Sometimes we mix the groups together. Uh, sometimes we might come back early to Fairfax. Now we, we just stay out mm -hmm. and we don't come back till just before we go to a local ice cream shop called the scoop, you know, for this uh, really good ice cream. And then we're, we're done. So, uh, Sterling has had the kids to probably like, and these are like, you know, 10 year olds, 
do like, you know, 3,500 feet of climbing in like a 26 mile ride that was like a high school ride is able to coax them through, through the day. So we build the kids up little by little. So, and we also read the room. If the, the whole group w- looks tired, we just adjust the ride. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing. The kids, remember, they're low to the ground and they're pretty tough. They do very well. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it sounds like you're kind of recreating your own experience with bikes as a kid. And, you know, when you were ex- describing that at the beginning, I was thinking, man, kids these days, I mean, most parents these days wouldn't let their child go out and, you know, ride their bike to school at five, six years old, um, or, you know, just kind of explore around. I mean, do you think, is that the issue is that like parents aren't going to do that on their own. And so this camp kind of allows them to feel comfortable with that. I think it, it, that does help. It also does help is very good because the kids, they'll learn the routes. And I remember one of my first or second year, I think we did one week and then we're at the park and we see this parent come by and they're like her nine year old son took her for like a two and a half hour mountain bike ride. <laughs> and, and she said, I could hear your voice, you know, and I was like, you'll watch out for this ditch here or whatever. <laughs> and the kid like, you know, here's this like nine year old kid took her all around Mount Tam on a ride and knew where to go. She was like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they, they know where to go. Yeah. It's, Things are different now. You know, I, I lived in, think, a much simpler time when you had, you know, you left the house and you didn't come back till it was dinner time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's definitely different now. I think those days were much better and let the kids go out and do stuff and, and explore. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of things being different, how do you feel about sort of the current state of trail access um, in the Mount Tam area for bikes? Oh, it's, it's, it's very painful because here, like, you know, Mount Tam and since the birthplace of modern mountain bike, and remember the first mountain bike, it's, you know, was the first bicycle because it was dirt back then. It's always funny to say, you know, who <laughs> yes. invented mountain biking. It's like, oh, uh, well, the first bicycle, wouldn't that be inventing mountain <laughs> biking? No um, yeah. Right. Yeah. So there were no paved roads. It's, anyways, that's, uh, that's, that's a whole nother subject. But we, in those years, you just had the, the old hiking groups that were on Mount Tam at the Alpine Club at, you know, at the TCC and that had their little groups that did it. Then, uh, the running boom happened and the hikers hated the runners running on Mount Tam. Hmm. And then when we started riding the bicycles, we supplanted the runners and we became the bad people. In those years, though, people rode horses all over Mount Tam mm-hmm. and actually helped maintain the trails. That generation died away a long time ago. I rarely see horses anymore. Just those groups really were very anti-bike. You know, so in some senses, we're kind of one of the worst places. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, we opened a museum in Fairfax called the Marin Museum of Bicycling a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, that's not only to show the culture, the history, and everything cycling, but hopefully another brick in the wall to remove this to give us better trail access and Marin County Bike Coalition, Access for Bikes, IMBA in the past, they're doing a lot of work to try and get trail access. So we do have trails right behind my house, the Boy Scout camp. That's like an eight and a half mile loop. The Tamarancho Trails has been around for a long time. There, uh, Marin County open space or parks made a very cool trail ponty off a of chicken shack off of Queenstone. That's an incredible two-way, you know, single track trail. 
So it's happening little by little, but you have CEQA and the environmental you know, uh, impact reports that sometimes make things very difficult to make happen. So as modern times come through, everything's a lot more difficult. And one person can say, you can't do this, and they can stop everything from happening. So hopefully someday that'll change just because someone complains on next door doesn't mean you shouldn't do something. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's very tough. I'm, we've been, I've been going to watershed meetings since like the mid seventies or probably early seventies. So hmm. there has been progress. Uh, I'd say high school mountain biking has really made a huge difference in that progress. Mm -hmm. uh, getting more people out there, getting the parents that do the riding to be more involved in really having these people see these high school riders or middle school riders out in groups to really see how important this sport is and the access for everybody is. I think that's something that's really helping break down those barriers and also is introducing a lot of people to the passion and love of the sport. And it's, you know, you can't be playing football when you're 40 years old, but you still can be cycling. So NICA has really made a huge difference. And uh, I'm the director of the mountain bike hall of fame for the last few years. And when I talk to people internationally, they've heard of NICA and they've heard what they've done and are extremely impressed, you know, with that organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have that younger generation getting involved. And then I would think too, it helps that, you know, you and Joe and a lot of the other folks there, you all aren't the long haired hippies anymore. I mean, you're the, you're the establishment, right? Well, I don't have any hair, so I'm certainly not long haired. Right. Well, I, I'm not sure how establishment we are, but, um, yeah. but I, I'd say it's just, yeah, you're older now. We're yeah, way older, but yeah, we're, we're again, we were never giving this up. This, this is, this is our deal. Cycling is very important to our life. Get being outdoors is important. Bicycles as transportation is important. It's the most efficient form of transportation in the world. Yo, so keep it up. We're, yeah, we're not, we're not going away. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, what's one thing that you want today's mountain bikers to know about the history of mountain biking and our sport? It came from the passion and the fun to ride a bicycle. Mm. And to always keep that in your mind and also what you learned in kindergarten, treat other people like you'd like to be treated. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, NorCal, uh, you know, early mountain biking, excuse me, the high school mountain biking and uh, the school I coached at started something called the Spirit of Howdy. And that is when you see somebody say howdy to them. And I would train uh, my athletes when I coached high school mountain biking, you know, is to you see somebody going while you're going on a fire road that's hiking. You should be going a speed that you can say hello and they have enough time to say hello back. So just keep with the passion, share the trails and be nice to people and all works out well. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, Otis, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and filling us in on the history of mountain biking. Really appreciate it. Well, you can learn more and see some of Otis's creations at otisguycycles.com, and we'll have that link in the show notes. That's all we've got this week. Talk to you again next week. Mm -hmm.